1: HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming to you. Well, we record this the last day of April, and as you're listening to this, it's no sooner than the first day of May, and spring football is over for most everyone, at least those of us who are stateside and not playing football in Rome. so we've got a long way to go, Steve, till college football season comes. The NFL draft is over for you. I know that's one of your big annual favorite sports weekends. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the aspects of the NFL draft and the University of Iowa. But before we do that, um, Rob Howe and I recorded something earlier this week, our thoughts on what we saw from Iowa's uh, spring game. And I wanted to get your thoughts as uh, you are no – Hawkeye-Homer, you take an objective view of them, as I try to, but I also admit that sometimes I can be biased, although Rob and I were both pretty critical of what we saw. What did you see from Iowa's spring game on the BTN?
0: Well, I think you have to keep in mind it's a spring game. Um, as we've said and we've talked about, some of the other games up across the country I've watched, and you know, guys get held out. Most of the time they don't go full speed which means when certain positions look alarming that is problematic particularly when that position is quarterback and you know watching Iowa's spring game two things stuck out to me one was Iowa has a history of looking bad in preseason um or 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 doing things in in preseason glimpses that Bear absolutely no bearing whatsoever on what the outcome of the actual season is. So don't overreact. And then part two was, that's all well and good, but I'm going to completely overreact on the quarterback position because I, I I was just blown away by what I saw. or should I say what I did not see? And uh, I you know, I know there's a new offensive coordinator, but it's essentially the same scheme. Nothing's really changed other than Brian Ferentz has never called to play in a major college football game before, as Chuck Long wanted to tell us 28 times during the spring game broadcast. But I – and I'm especially alarmed because one thing we have seen that I pointed out on our podcast before, John, is that when you look at quarterback development in the Ferentz years, you see two trends. One is they exceed expectations with new quarterbacks in in getting them ready to be – um, for at the very least, competent game managers, if not um, threats on their own. Uh, they've done a very good job with that throughout the years. And the other trend, of course, is the hotly debated, do you guys actually get better the longer they play at Iowa under center? But from what I saw, neither one of those guys looks to me like they are ready. I mean, the first couple games in a year, you're going to play a Wyoming team who might have some people are claiming the number one pick in the NFL draft, if not a certain first rounder at quarterback. Then you go on the road to Ames. I, I was concerned in what I saw there, I, 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 and I would expect to see that if you were doing a new offense, a whole new system, but that's not what's going on here, and these are guys that have been in the program. I mean, for goodness sakes, we saw Nathan Stanley take live bullets last year. I was worried.
1: Yeah, I think that – and I was certainly worried too. Um, I think that, as Kirk has said several times, to, and to quote him, the nomenclature, it's an all-new nomenclature. And that's a concern in and of itself because the last time they talked about that in advance of a season, it was 2012. Now, I think that this offense will be simplified some. But, but I – while Stan, neither Stanley nor Uyghurs inspired confidence, I would say – that they were throwing to a low-level Mac receiving core, And you didn't have Matt Vandenberg in there. You didn't have Germany Smith in there. You may not have either of those guys, though, in the fall either. I mean, this is Vandenberg's second injury to his foot, and that's a concern. Something like that can sometimes go chronic. Um, and Germanique Smith, who knows if he's going to get his academics in order. So while... Stanley and Uyghurs were throwing to, you know, easily the Big Ten's worst receiving core out there as they change things up, there isn't exactly a cavalry on the way for Iowa's passing game. And while Akram Wadley has a great deal of talent, I mean... There there have been years when Iowa hasn't made an offensive scheme change where you and I are stupefied why teams don't blitz Iowa on every single play and make Iowa beat you through the air multiple times before you back off mm-hmm. and teams don't do that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you made the wide receiver point. That's something I should have included into, um, into my own analysis as well. That... Uh, that doesn't bode well for the fall. I mean, I, no. you, just, you, have to, you have to develop timing. You, you have to develop confidence, precision. And with very few exceptions, you tend to be the team in the fall from a makeup standpoint, from a framework standpoint, that you are in the spring. Now, guys get better, get worse, get injured. Once we start going through a season, players develop, Negatively develop, wilt, et cetera. But the framework, the skeleton of your team, and I, and you know, when I covered Iowa closely in the early Ferrin years, as they were beginning to build themselves on a national power, that is what I saw. When I was around Iowa State football on an even closer level than that for several years, that is what I saw. Hell, one year after I sold Cyclone Nation, I got to go up Brady Hoke's first year at Michigan. I got to go to two actual full days of spring practice and not, that were not open to the public. And everything I saw that year is exact. that I saw on the field those two days was the team Michigan had on the field that fall. I mean, certain, certain players got better, certain ones didn't show up once the season started, but the framework of that team was the same team that, that, that Hoke had his first year. So I, I, that's what I'm concerned about, particularly when you are a developmental program. I mean, summer is conditioning. The fall is preparation for the season. This is the time of this, this time, both practices and now, are when you really see guys begin to take major steps, step forwards in their, um, in their off-season development from one season to the next. And that I'm really concerned about. I, I think the schedule is tougher. Um, you know, the the thing you have with Wadley this year, when you have that kind of hype, if you ever wanted to know, you know, you, did, you were right. I mean, we, you and I have done this show for many times over the years. Why don't teams just do this against Iowa, stack the box? And you're going to see defensive coordinators and defensive players up and down Iowa's schedule. They're going to be like, well, this is how we make our bones, man. This is the guy to take down. So if you ever wondered how come teams don't stack the box against Iowa, something tells me when you have a running back with a reputation like that, and it's showing in your spring game like that with young quarterbacks you you might finally get your wish of wondering what that would look like you're you're going to finally see that
1: yeah i mean t- teams teams regularly stack the box I, I just i'm just surprised they're not more aggressive and you know iowa is Iowa's strengths this next year will obviously be its running game its offensive line and wadley and it's tight ends I, I it'll be interesting to see if they can do some some new things, some Now, the more.
0: offensive line is an enigma. It has, been, it has sucked at pass blocking the last two years in a row. Now, did it do that because the receivers were not that good? Did it do that because in 2015, after week three, C.J. Bethard was a statue back there, and and last year, um, you know, they, they, they just didn't have receivers. They could get off of uh, off of press coverage, and so guys weren't open downfield? Because it is rare to have an offensive line that road grades people in the running game and can't hold the point of attack in the passing game. Usually, if you have an offensive line that does one or the other, it's the other way around. Usually it's, okay, they can, they can hold the point, but they're not physical enough to move the point of attack to run the football. Iowa, it's rare to have a running a, a offensive line that can dominate run blocking and is a sieve in, in pass blocking. That's normally not the case, which leads you to think that the issues with that with the pass protection are more systemic than just the technique or skill set up front, but they are a lack of mobility of the quarterback. They are an inability of receivers to get the ball to get open downfield, which forces the quarterback to hold the ball longer. Well, I don't see how that gets better this year from what I'm looking at right now.
1: Right. You know, I I tweeted something out, and this is probably what you're referring to. Um, Kevin Jones, whomever he is, he's verified, but I don't know who he is. posted that Beathard had, was sacked, 58 times over two seasons. That's like Jake Christensen 2007-esque. And then um, Jeff uh, Dini from Pro Football Focus quote, tweeted, Beathard was under pressure 40.9% of the time in 2015, the year Iowa went 12-0 and in the regular season. That was the most of any quarterback in the country. And then last year he was under pressure 38.9% of the time in 2016, which was the third most of any quarterback wow. in the country. And wow. that's just simply incredible. And, w- and we'll talk about Bethard more here as we transition into the NFL draft. But, you know, Steve, I, I really think, and I'm going ha- to ask you to help me um, hold me to this, I really think that Iowa's win total next season is going to be somewhat simple to pin down, in my opinion. I think it'll be 5, 6, or 7. Uh, I think they'll win more than 4. I could, you know, if I was going to put on those three numbers, if I was going to stack chips, I wouldn't stack them evenly. I would probably have um, 75% of my chips either on the five or the six number and fewer chips on the seven number. Because as you mentioned, the the schedule gets a lot tougher. I mean, Ohio State's a loss. Uh, I, I get that you know Iowa got up for the Michigan game last year. This, this Ohio State team, I think, is better than going to be better than Michigan last year. But also, it's just a different type of mojo. I don't think Iowa wins that game. I struggle to see Iowa beating Penn State in Kinnick Stadium. Um, I think Iowa can beat Michigan State on the road, but when you talk about those young quarterbacks and how they looked and really the lack of receiver core in a team that can still play tough defense, that's going to be a tough road game. Um, then you're at Nebraska, and you're at Wisconsin. Um, and as you mentioned, you got Wyoming coming in with potentially the number one pick in next year's draft or the top quarterback potentially taken. If the people were being polled right now, there was a lot of talk about that on Twitter this weekend. You know, and even though Iowa State didn't have anybody drafted, um, you know, maybe they're all there and the development's going to be there. And plus it's an Ames. And I've seen, you know, I've seen worse Iowa State teams and maybe what they're going to have next year beat Iowa uh, in Jack Tri. So, yeah, I think that um, in, in a transitional year with the offensive coordinator and so many things that we don't really know, I, I'm not going to go out on a limb any farther than that.
0: Well, the one thing we do know about Iowa, and this is true of a lot of teams, but this is certainly true about Iowa, is they're going to win a game they should not win. They're going to lose a game they should not lose, right? So, last year you can say that Northwestern game at home when Northwestern was kind of reeling at that point in the season was one that uh, Iowa shouldn't have lost. The Michigan game, of course, on on prime time on national television was a game that Iowa probably should not have won. But you're right in comparing from a matchup standpoint. Ohio State is a much tougher matchup for Iowa, because of the style they play, the spread offense, the spread you out. Michigan wants to play. Michigan and Iowa have similar systems. Michigan just tries to play it with with, the, with better players, but y- you can get Michigan in a phone booth in a, in a one and done situation, and Iowa did that last year. You, it's really hard to do that with Ohio State because of the way they play. But at some point, they'll probably win a game they should not win, and they'll lose a game that they should not lose. And then with Iowa, it's a matter of their level of execution in those other nine, ten games of the season. And your margin for error offensively at Iowa already is, as we've talked about for many years, already is, is pretty narrow. But now if you're, gonna, if, if you're in a situation where, you know, when, I, when we first heard, you know, when, when, when we were first told that Tyler Wiegers came out at the, at, the, at the Valley practice a, a few weeks ago, and took the first snap. We really didn't know what that meant, okay? And um, now we do. It's not a case of Uyghurs is beating Nathan Stanley out. It's a case that neither one of these guys has taken a step forward in development. And and that's, that's problematic.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, and I, I mean, I, I think it's too early to lay it at the feet of them. I'm not saying that you are. I think there are a number of, of plausible explanations as to why they're struggling. And then the big concern is how much better is receiver going to get? You know, a, a longtime Ferentz-era lament is that he doesn't play, play freshman as much as mm-hmm. some other programs do, uh, especially at positions where a lot of freshmen play at other schools like wide receiver. Uh, I'll say this. I think that that trend is going to be bucked this coming year and not because Iowa has elite receivers necessarily in their recruiting class, but out of sheer necessity. Um, And so we'll see. Maybe people will get what they've been craving. Um, Defensively, you know, Josie Jewell really didn't go much. Uh, Both of Iowa's, you know, projected, well, I shouldn't say both. Uh, Nathan Budgeta, he's projected to start at one tackle he didn't really play. Um, there were a lot of missing pieces there, but um, I don't know. Didn't matter. A lot of questions.
0: That, and that, that's why that, That's why. what you just said is why I'm even more concerned about uh-huh. the quarterback situation. Sure. That's why.
1: Yep. Totally get it. Let's move on to the NFL draft, and we'll talk about Iowa first. Um, I would have wagered we would have heard Desmond King's name before any other Iowa player's name, but we didn't. What we heard was C.J. Bether's name in the third round, tail end of the third round. The San Francisco 49ers traded up about five uh, spots to get him, and that was a pretty shocking pick. It was widely panned um, from most every you know draft analyst outlet that I've come across as... A bit of a reach pick for them. I just mentioned to you, however, uh, Bethard's statistics. He didn't exactly play a uh, stress-free career at Iowa. He was probably sacked or pressured more than any quarterback over the last two years than anybody in the country. Matter of fact, we know that he was. I just gave you those statistics, and ma- maybe San Francisco knows something that other people didn't see because they looked through the film and saw things, and maybe weighted him a little more, uh, weighted him a little better because of the challenge with pass blocking. Do you think it was a pretty big reach by them? Yes and no.
0: I mean, you know, it's, here's why I would say yes. Just looking at my own board. Well, Steve, wh- wh- what qualifies you to have a board? Absolutely nothing. I'm just going to watch a lot of football <laughs> and I, I, have to, we I have to have something to talk about. So I, you know, I do try to do, I try to do as much of my own homework as I can, rather than just reading and ripping off of what other people already do. Okay. Um, based on what i thought the quarterback board was yeah however the reason i would say no is because i thought um i thought san francisco was one of the six or seven teams i would give a grades to in the way they drafted and so in the context of the fact that i liked what they did in their draft beginning with the opening fleecing they did of the bears i'm inclined to say in the context of their overall draft that this, this one pick, uh, in my view, being a reach, well, given the context of how I thought they performed the rest of the way, then I'm inclined to say these guys get paid to do this for a living, so I'll defer to them. You mm-hmm. know what I'm trying to say. Right. Now, if it, if it was a draft like the Bears had, which I questioned numerous picks, and then you talk about this kind of a reach – then I might be more stubborn about holding on to my inclinations, but, but given the fact that I like the way San Francisco performed as a whole, I'm inclined to say, well, you know, if I like the other six or seven picks they made, then, you know, maybe they're right about this one too, and I'm the one that doesn't know what I'm talking about. But let me say this, when you talk about quarterbacks that take hits like that, or young quarterbacks that do, I always go back to David Carr, number one overall pick in the draft, sacked 78 times his first year in the NFL as an expansion quarterback, those guys rarely develop. That's just history. Mm-hmm. The, guys that, the guys that get pummeled like that in college and early in their NFL careers rarely develop. They usually get so shell-shocked back there in the pocket that they don't. And, you know, I watch every minute of the NFL Combine, and we talked about this at the, at the time. I thought Beathard looked awful at the Combine. In fact, it looked to me, frankly, like he kind of wasn't trying. I, I mean, I, I remember I told you this back in, in March. It, he was kind of nonchalant, just kind of, you know, lackadaisical out there. You know, he wasn't just kind of ripping it, you know, and, and slinging it. He looked to me like he was just half like he didn't even care. You know, so I don't know. You know, I, it's a reach to me. Now, if you would have told me, at, you know, at, a month into the season or in the off season, hey, what do you think of Beathard? And maybe he's going as a third-round pick in the NFL. Think could, yeah, I could think he could do that. Sure. But, you know, the way that things, you know, ensued throughout the rest of that season last year, I mean, even the game against Michigan, they won that basically in spite of him. So, and a lot of that was he didn't have protection. It was one, two, three, drop, except the drop was hit the ground. You know, not, you know, plant your foot, drop, and throw. I mean, he was getting dropped. One, two, three, getting dropped in that game. You know, so I thought it was a reach, but I'm happy for him. I think he has NFL ability. No question. I don't think there's any doubt about that whatsoever. He has NFL ability. Uh, Comes from a pro system. I mean, Mitch Trubisky, John, told John Gruden at Gruden's quarterback camp that he had not taken a snap under center since the sixth grade. Hmm. He, he told Steve Mariucci on the NFL Network he didn't know what a hard count was. Wow. Okay. So here's a guy that hadn't taken a snap under center since the sixth grade, didn't know what a hard count was. I mean,
1: talk, talk, about, talk about your, your footwork. He, he doesn't have any of that.
0: That's exactly that's exactly right. Yes, and the and the game moves so fast that if if your opening plant foot is off, that nanosecond that gives that gives Jason Pierre Paul, Ziggy Ansah, name a guy. You know what I'm saying? You know that gives. You don't want to give those guys an extra half a second. You're like, well, Steve, what difference a half a second makes? You have no clue. It makes a hell of a lot of difference. Might be the difference in you getting your freaking head torn off or not. Might be that kind of a difference. At the speed the NFL operates, that's a major difference. This is also a guy that, you know, the second half of last season, when NFL, when, when the rest of the ACC coaches started getting some film on him, you saw, you saw Trubisky struggle last year. He couldn't win any of their big games. They lost their rivalry game to Duke. They got killed in their rivalry game at home to NC State. He got he got his he got whooped up and down the field by Solomon Thomas and Stanford in the bowl game. So why am I bringing up Mitch Trubisky? Will you contrast that with Beathard? Pro style system. I think I think he has just as strong as arm, not as good of an overall athlete, but just as strong of an arm. Pro style system. Um, you know, won his rivalry games. You know, at least quarter – at least managed a big – you know, Iowa's went over Michigan ended up being one of the five or six biggest wins any team in college football had last year because it changed the entire playoff implications. So, I mean, if I'm if I'm John Lynch, who's the new general manager there, and I'm a former All-Pro player, and I come out of the broadcast booth, I, and, and, you know, I, w- I went to Super Bowls and with guys – and I went to the playoffs with Trent Dilfers and Brad Johnsons as my quarterback when I was in the NFL – I'm going to look for guys that I know can take a hit, get back up, keep on ticking, tough guys, and we know Beathard can do that. I mean, it's almost poetic that his last name is spelled Beat Hard, because he was (laughs) throughout his entire college career. He was beaten hard. And dude always got back up, so I can see why an old an old safety like John Lynch, who was basically a Rodney Harrison rip your head off and show it to you type, I can see why he would he would want a guy like that. When you look at sort of a pretty boy like Trubisky, goes with the number two overall pick in the draft, and he looks great, you know, wearing shorts, you know, in the in the T-shirt Olympics. But when we get there on the field, we're not really sure he can take a shot.
1: Yeah, so he is going to get. Uh... I think close to a million dollars of guaranteed money um, for that position in the third round. And props to
0: Ferentz. You know, I've heard Ferentz say, you know, during Iowa's spring game broadcast on BTN, he predicted that CJ was going to get his name called a lot earlier than people thought. So, dude knows his stuff. Again, when it comes to the pros, he was right about that. Now, when it when, when it comes to Des King, I am not shocked that he fell at all because he is not a great athlete um it doesn't have the great 40 time doesn't have the great reaction times doesn't have a lot of you, you know it doesn't have uh, a, a lot of the, the great measurables you're looking for and this was the deepest defensive back draft i can remember i predicted that at least 20 defensive backs would go in the first three rounds and that was correct and and so if you're coming out this in this draft and and you're more savvy and skill than talent and measurables um you know, th- there's just too many, too many of those guys. I, I look at a guy my Lions picked, Jalen Tabor or T's Tabor. He was the consensus top corner in the NFL draft all throughout the preseason of last year, throughout this year, heading into the combine. Goes to the combine, runs a four six five, and he fell off. It was like he never did anything in college, and he fell completely off the grid. Because of that, and then you, th- and that's what I think kind of happened to Des King. And then you throw in the fact he's a bit of a tweener. And I told you last year when we talked about him, he's not your man-to-man corner in the NFL. He is more of a zone guy, read and react guy. But the good news for De- for Des King is that's really what most coverages in the NFL are nowadays. You really don't get to go all oh, Lester Hayes uh, uh, or even Durrell, Revis, uh, you know, Revis Island of five years ago anymore. The rules just don't allow that. So I think he'll. I think because of his character, he is highly skilled, Very has great ball skills, very savvy, reads defense as well, uh, or reads offense as well, and, and, and makes plays when the ball is in the air. I think he's going to end up, you know, a, a Micah Hyde, Sean Considine type. He's going to play 10 years in this league, and he's going to make his money, but it's just not going to come on the front end because he's just not a great athlete.
1: Julio Johnson with Minnesota and George Kittle going out to uh, San Francisco. What did you think of those? Yeah,
0: I was. Go back to Kittle. Well, let's go to Kittle for a second, then we'll go to Julio. Kittle, I was surprised by. And I I I saw Mike Mayock say over the weekend that he was too, because I told you at the combine I thought Kittle was one of the guys that made himself some money. I mean, when you're when you're running, you know, sub four six forties at his size at that position, and even though he'd been hurt. He comes from a school with a, with, a, with a pedigree at that position, so you know he is NFL-ready. But Mayock had said on the NFL network that most of the GMs that he talked to thought that he was a tweener and had him projected as a fullback instead. I, I, don't, I don't see that at all. So, again, I thought that was a very good pick for San Francisco. Um, and then I, I liked the fit with Jaleel Johnson in Minnesota. I thought Minnesota had a really good draft, too. That would be And they didn't, they, they didn't have a first-round pick because of the Bradford trade. So I, I thought they would be one of the teams I'd give an A grade to, and I think that um, you know he's going to a, one of the top defensive coaches in the NFL. Who's the head coach there? They already have a really good defense there, and so he's essentially going to be a guy that's going to be a depth guy. He's going to be a short yardage, you know, um, you know, a run plugger, and and I thought Mayock made a great point about Julio Johnson. I want to get your take on this, John. He made a great point about Julio Johnson over the weekend when he said that. When you watch Julio Johnson on tape, and, and one of the things we heard about all these players on the defensive front is how much they dog it. Now, some of that is overrated because the way offense is in college today, we run so many bubble screens and everything else. You're out there for 90 plays a game, and, and when they're throwing bubble screens to the opposite sideline from where you are, you've got to conserve your energy, man. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. I mean, yeah, that plays 25 yards away from you. And, and you're gonna be on the field another 75 snaps. You just can't do that. Now, they did show some clips of Miles Garrett just flat out dogging it. That that's, what, that's where your concern is when you're in the field of play in the ball and you're still dogging it. But the one thing that I thought Mayock said about Julio Johnson that I found fascinating was in, in light of that conversation about so many of the defensive linemen in this year's class not having you know high motors and, and, and having plays where they let it rest. He said, Iowa's depth in the defensive front was so shallow that johnson played more snaps than he should have and he said when he watched him on film what he consistently saw is for 60 to 70 of the snaps that he was out there he looked like a first day draft pick and then there'd be 15 to 30 snaps depending on the opponent where he did not but in his case Mayak did not think it was a motor with johnson he thought it was serious Uh, it it was just serious um uh, fatigue. fatigue. He was just being asked to play too many snaps.
1: There, there's no doubt about that. And that's, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for him, but that is some pretty darn good deep digging by Mayock. It's, it's easy to sit there, throw on tape of someone, sit there and try to evaluate their technique. But unless you dig a little bit deeper, I, I don't know how many of these talking head you know, analysts do this or don't, um, I'm sure that you know a lot of your you know NFL personnel guys do know this, and Kirk Ferentz probably made uh, let a lot of them know this very fact. I- unless you know and go deeper into the team, you're not going to realize that Jaleel Johnson was a probably a a 65 to 70 snap a game guy this last year, and you just don't want that. If you, I don't care if if you know AJ Epenesa is first team All American as a sophomore, which I don't think he will be. But if he is, you don't want him playing 70 snaps a game mm-hmm. because snap 50 through 70, it's law of diminishing returns. It's simple economics. Yep. So yep. that's that's a great point.
0: Yeah. One thing I've noticed the last few years and, and you know, I love me Mel Kuyper. I love the fact that he's the original fanboy who turned being who turned. I just do this for fun into a cottage industry and all of us who aspire along those lines have to, have to give him mad props for that. But the level of knowledge and depth of homework McShay on his network and Mayock on the NFL network bring to the table. And you know me, I'm a guy that watches a lot of this stuff, okay? And I'd, and I'd probably put Daniel and Jeremiah of the NFL network in there as well, who's a former professional scout for like the Baltimore Ravens. But I think McShay and then Mayock and Jeremiah, as much as I love Misa Mel Kuyper, those guys are pro scouts. And you can see there's just a different level of discernment that, that that they bring to the table that even a guy who's a walking compendium, an encyclopedia of football like Mel Kuyper, just doesn't have.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a different taste and texture to what the NFL network does versus ESPN. And I certainly don't make any... Uh, exaggerations on how much of the NFL draft I watch year in, year out. Um, but when I did turn it on for about a half hour to 45 minutes on Friday night, you know, I tuned in to the NFL network because, frankly, I, I've been scarred from Chris Berman too many times through the years to even try ESPN all that much, even though I don't think he was probably there. Um, I, I did. No, he was gone, and it's the most of the of
0: ESPN's NFL draft coverage on in the first round I've watched in like ten years.
1: Yeah, I, I caught it for two or three minutes, and, I, and and Trey Wingo went crazy over something near the end of the second round, and I can't remember what it was, but I thought it was so freaking stupid. Um, yeah. Oh, I know what it was. They, they were talking about they were talking about a player and his toughness. And Wingo used an analogy to showcase his toughness. By saying that his girl poured, they got, he got into an altercation with his girlfriend and she dumped boiling water on him. And they said he was gonna miss three games, but he only missed one. That's how tough he is. When I heard that analogy, I was out. I was done. I'm thinking, mm. that's, ESPN, if that's the best you've got to talk about a guy's toughness, is about an argument that he was getting in with his girlfriend, I'm out. No thanks. Well done. Anyhow. I'm not a big fan of it any uh, of ESPN anyway, and, and really, Steve, I don't know how you do it. I, I don't know how you can sit there, especially in the first round, and, and I'm guessing there's a second round also. Fifteen minutes between picks or Ten minutes. Just, just. Oh my gosh! Uh, I, and you're not alone. There's a lot of people that watch it. I just can't take it. I mean, people. Well, sit- the first round. The way I work is the first round I watch live,
0: um, and I record both ESPN and the NFL Network. And in light of what happened at ESPN this week, which we'll get into in next week's podcast, I decided to start watching ESPN just to see if I noticed a difference in coverage. And frankly, I thought it was they were doing very well, so I kind of just kept it there. And then I went back and watched the NFL network later on after I had, uh, after the draft was done to get Mayox take on the stuff I found interesting. Friday night was date night, so I recorded it, came home after I put everybody to bed. And then I kind of then at that point, you know, Um, I watch it at that point like I watch a college basketball game where I watch the whole thing but it's on like one speed of fast forward so I can stop it when something happens I want to make a note of right
1: Hmm. and
0: then Saturday um, you know is yard work and other stuff so I just recorded it when I got that all done I just came in the house and did the same thing so I watched it all but I did not sit down and watch every minute of it live in real time thank God for DVR
1: Yeah, because, I mean, some people that that can sit down and consume all the NFL draft, uh, not only live but on tape delay so they can watch the other network's commentary, are the same people that complain because there's 20 seconds in between pitches in a baseball game and that takes too long. Like, no, no. Um, But while I don't sit and watch the tedious pick-by-pick aspects of it, because I really don't have a favorite NFL team. And, and that's another big part of it, too. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I want to know where Iowa players are taken. And, and frankly, I root for NFL teams that have Iowa players on them. Um, I do read about it. I, I read the primary articles. I still love going in and reading you know, all the talking heads and how they grade each team's draft. And I will say that one consensus, the, the, the one primary consensus that I've drawn from everything that I've read... On this year's draft is that nobody knows what the hell the Chicago Bears did in this draft beginning with moving up one spot and giving up so much as they did to draft the aforementioned in this podcast Mitch Trubisky at quarterback your thoughts on that
0: yeah I thought collectively this was the best teams did in an NFL draft in all the years I've watched it and I shouldn't, and, and, and I don't think that should be much of a surprise because this might have been the deepest overall draft I can recall, but it also did not have five or six, this is not a draft, this is not the 89 draft, where the first pick was Troy Aikman, and the the second pick was Tony Mandrich, uh, who, who, who ended up sucking but was a legend at the time, and the third pick was Barry Sanders, and the fourth pick was Derek Thomas. And the fifth pick was Deion Sanders. Okay. Th- this did not have a draft like that, but, but the overall depth, I, one scout said that um, he talked to an NFL team that had 80 players graded as, as first year starting caliber players in this year's draft. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you have that kind of depth, these guys should draft well because you got to try to reach when there's this much depth. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. Okay? there's really not miles garrett i agree was the number one prospect but really the difference in miles garrett at defensive end compared to solomon thomas is is minuscule really the reason i bring that up in the context of the question that you brought you asked me is the only team that i would have given a failing grade to was the bears i don't know what they were doing i don't i made no it made no sense to me at all you had at, at what point did you not realize that when a team who needs a needs a franchise quarterback, every bit as much as you do, like the 49ers, is willing to is willing to trade take that trade. It probably means a they're not taking a quarterback, right? And b they don't have another offer to take one. So why not just admit, and then you find out afterwards. When they interview Trubisky afterwards and they say, you know, when did you first find out the Bears really liked you? Because I never spoke to the Bears one time in the entire post-draft pre draft process. They never contacted me. I never talked to them. They never interviewed me. Seriously, he said that. You know, then your quarterback, your franchise quarterback goes out to the Bulls playoff game where fans are already ornery because you're about to blow a 2 nothing lead and lose four straight to the Celtics. He gets booed. This looks bad. It looks really bad. And now they've got $71 million in cap space the next three years tied up in Mike Lennon and Mitch Trubisky. So I I, I don't know what that franchise is doing. Now, I don't think every team, other team did great, but, but almost every other team, when I looked at their drafts, I thought, yeah, I think they did pretty good. I think they got themselves some really good players. But they were the one team that it just – they looked to me like – they didn't know what they were doing. They, it, it, it it's, and the thing you got to worry about with Trubisky is, if they go three and thirteen, four and twelve again, they're going to make a coaching change there.
1: It, it's and almost so
0: now, now you're going to now if you're the ownership of the Bears, this is why this is where the ownership of the Bears should have said no to the management. No, we're not making that trade. Okay, if 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 he falls to us at three and you want to come back and try to talk me into it in that 15-minute window, fine. But you have to know if they go 3-13 and 13 or 4-12 and 12 again, John Fox is gone. And now you're going to saddle a whole new coaching staff with a quarterback that they didn't draft? That doesn't make any sense to me at all.
1: Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, if you have a pick in the top five of the draft, I don't really see how it's even possible that you would not have had an interview at a minimum at the player's location You don't have to have it necessarily in Chicago, but how you wouldn't have had some degree of face-to-face interview with a player that you felt like you could get as one of the top five picks. If you're not interviewing at least 10 players, that would seem to be a failure, much less if you've got the third pick in the draft. You pretty much know that there are only two players that you won't be able to get, so you can bring in five or six guys, and you can know for sure that you're going to be able to select at least one of them. And you're going to make that level of salary slot investment, and then to do it at the most important position in all of professional sports, an NFL quarterback, without having any type of um, due diligence on him, that's already a failure. It's a failure of epic proportion. And to read that, you know, John Fox had absolutely no idea, um, yeah, not for long. Not for well,
0: long. Well, and especially because I thought. I, in, on my board, I thought there was a lot of distance between um, Deshaun Watson and the rest of the quarterbacks. And and, I, and, and I, I have a massive man crush on Deshaun Watson, but it's because of what I think of him as a player. It's not I have him rated higher as a player because I have a man crush. No, because of where I have him rated as a player, I have a man crush. It's the other way around. What I look at is a young man who... Here's all I need to know, and, and, and I know the stereotypes. I know there is this stereotype that Trubisky is tall and white, and Deshaun Watson is black, and so Trubisky played in some pro-style offense where he was a statue pocket passer, and Deshaun Watson, some 5'11 black kid who just ran around making plays in the dirt. That's completely wrong. They both played in spread offenses. Trubisky's a little bit taller, but they're roughly the same size. Uh, Watson's actually 6'3 He is built like a freaking Mack truck Go 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 watch the last two National Championship games with Alabama Watch him truck guys in the open field And here's all I need Here's all you need to know about Deshaun Watson This is it, this is all you need to know right here Two years in a row Nick Saban defenses where they had Multiple weeks to prepare for him In a National Championship setting And what is Nick Saban's record When he has more than a week to prepare against somebody It's damn near perfect More than a week to prepare for Deshaun Watson, two years in a row against, when you look at what Alabama's NFL draft was last year, this year, and will be the next year, probably 20 guys who started in those two games or played on those defenses will get drafted in the NFL. And in those two games, Deshaun Watson threw for over 800 yards with eight touchdowns and one interception. All right? Suck it. I, I don't care. I don't freaking care what Mitch Trubisky's film looks like against Troy State. Who the F cares? Oh, I know who cares. The same people who sold this on, Ryan Leaf, Dante Culpepper, Achilles Smith. Just go right on down the line. Same people who did that. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers is gonna be a first ballot hall of famer. What'd they say about him? Oh, he's got this awkward delivery. Okay? At some point, does what you do on film actually matter? And, and I don't, well, he had 17 interceptions. So, did, you know what? Guess who also threw 17 interceptions their last year in college football? Matt Ryan in one fewer game at Boston College. Where, 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 where was his last game this past year? Oh, I forgot. In the freaking Super Bowl. He was the NFL MVP. When you look at the body of work it, with Deshaun, Deshaun Watson not only put up those numbers, not only was runner up for the Heisman this year and third last year, Here's what Deshaun Watson also did. Changed an entire culture of a program. Deshaun Watson is why Clemsoning is no longer a verb, John. It's no longer a verb because of Deshaun Watson. And and, and you know who could use that kind of culture change at quarterback? The Chicago Bears and every other team that wanted one. And you know what, I was so happy for the kid because he got the best situation he could have asked for going to Houston. With a known quarterback guy in Bill O'Brien. They've got they're already a playoff team. Everything you need there to be successful, he already has. Dustin Hopkins who comes from Clemson is the wide receiver Mike Williams replaced at Clemson what kind of receiver is he a jump ball guy in the end zone so he's got the same guy that he had when he had Mike Williams for three years at Clemson he's walking in to a perfect situation he does not have the strongest arm in the draft no he ain't Chad Pennington either but he's not he's not Ryan Lee for Peyton Manning but you know what in Houston he's going to play eight games indoors jacksonville's in, when he plays them outdoors that's not a weather factor game indianapolis in the division he plays them outdoors that's not a weather factor game that's 10 or indoors that's 10 in games or weather won't be an issue you could argue tennessee likely when he plays them outdoors won't be a weather factor game which means now we're talking about two thirds to three quarters of his games every year he's not throwing the ball off of lake erie so i was really happy for him as a young man he got a great situation and I think he's going to make the teams that passed on him, I think he's going to make them all pay for it. I understand why Kansas City did what, they, did what it did with Pat Mahomes. I understand why. But if I was a Chiefs fan, I'd be unhappy, and here's why. I've got a team right now with a window to get to a Super Bowl. And and there there has never, ever been an an air raid quarterback that has been successful in the NFL. Now, I would argue the reason why is most of them haven't had Pat Mahomes' physical abilities, okay? But Mahomes also is is much more raw than Trubisky. Mahomes also is a guy whose mechanics are at times terrible. He's going to need, at the very least, a full season of development, which means you took a ready-made team right now that's capable of getting to a Super Bowl right now and essentially said to the veterans in that locker room, we're going to take about a year and not really and not be serious about getting to, getting closer to the Super Bowl because we, we used this year's first-round pick and traded next year's on a developmental quarterback. That's why I didn't like that selection. And I like that, Mahomes, but I didn't like that selection.
1: Um, you know, there's a couple of quarterback picks you didn't like there. Do you think that you can get good value? I mean, it depends on the draft, but do you think you can get good quarterback value beyond the first round?
0: Yeah, but if you look at history, and I looked this up, I mean, Drew Brees wasn't picked in the first round, but in the last 20 years, the, the 10 most prolific passers in the NFL, six of them were top five picks. Hmm. A seventh, Ben Roethlisberger was picked 11th. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the odds, your can you find those guys? Yes. The odds you'll find those guys are not high. Okay. Because for every Drew Brees you pick in the second round, there's there's 15 Geno Smiths. Okay. Yeah. And for every Tom Brady that happens once a generation that you get in the sixth round, there's you know every other quarterback that you drafted in the sixth round who (laughs) didn't pan out. All right, so you know, I wouldn't try to make my living trying to find those extra guys. To me, what I would have done if I was Kansas City um, is, if I was going to trade up, I, I'm going to go get, I'm going to get a, I, I'm going to get a big body wide receiver because that's the one thing I don't have. I've got a, I've got speed playmakers and Tyree Kill and Jeremy Macklin. I've got an all-pro tight end. I've got got a running game. Um, Although, you know, I may not have that featured back, and and Jamal Charles is gone now. So the one thing I'm missing is I need one more offensive weapon, which means I'm either going to go get another – I'm going to get one of these stud tailbacks in this draft, or I'm going to go get a guy like Mike Williams that I can throw jump balls to in the end zone to help Alex Smith. Okay? And they didn't do that. You know? So – I I I think that, you know Andy Reid. I think that I think I think you're looking at a three or four year minimum before Pat Mahomes is ready to win a Super Bowl with, and Andy Reid ain't 45 years old now, you know. So they got a window right now. I think they should have tried to take advantage of it. They okay. had gotten more playmakers.
1: Last topic for tonight's podcast. Um, there were 103 draft eligible underclassmen who chose to forfeit their last year of college eligibility enter the 2017 draft players that could have been back uh, with their college teams in 2017 but instead uh, did not and of that group 73 of 103 were drafted 30 went undrafted meaning 30 of those players You know, several of them will be signing undrafted free agent contracts, and the odds are long of those guys making a roster. Those guys could have been back to help their teams next year. What What are the names that really jumped out to you? Who you think, you know, with the benefit that you have right now of hindsight, made a bad decision and/or who's who really, uh, really, really should should have stayed because of what they could have done with their teams next year?
0: Well, I'm glad you brought this up because there were some really amazing trend lines that developed in this draft john one out of every five players drafted came from the sec one out of every six players drafted came from the acc alabama had more players picked in the first three rounds of the draft than the entire big 12 did combined Hmm. in fact the american athletic conference non-power five league had more players drafted than the big 12 did
1: Theme warning for next week's podcast and yes. 2026 season coming near you.
0: And, and, and then there were guys that shouldn't have gone pro that did get picked. My Lions picked Brad Kaya. Miami, if he would have come back as a preseason top 10 team, and now he'll be lucky to beat out Jake Rudock to be the backup quarterback. And that's why you wonder where these guys get advice. And when I look at this list you're referring to, you look at guys like KD Cannon, for example, he might have been a preseason All-American if he'd come back to Baylor, not picked. Um, I look at Gerard Evans at Virginia Tech. Tom Luganville of ESPN had had one of the had the the best joke of this draft. Gerard Evans is the first player ever to declare early for the Canadian Football League draft. Okay, <laughs> if Gerard Evans if Gerard Ed, Ed Evans had come back, Virginia Tech is probably a preseason top ten or fifteen team. Now they may not even be a preseason top twenty five team. I have no idea what advice he was giving. Um, you look at some of the other guys on this list that I can point out speedy noyle at texas a&m you know uh, with josh reynolds being in the nfl now this kind of would have been his team his year to be featured in that offense gone uh divine Redding. you know he could have had another thousand yard Do, do, do these guys not do math do they not figure out you know what man there's 30 draft eligible running backs in this year's draft and i'm in indiana Maybe I should come back another year, right. and because and, we're supposed to actually be pretty good this year, we might be another bowl team. And, you know, I can be the guy that runs the that that carries the offense. Why not be that guy? They could certainly use him. Travis Rudolph scored the game-winning touchdown against Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Not drafted. Um, Ricky Seals Jones, the other Texas A&M receiver. Boy, if you're one of those Texas A&M young quarterbacks that struggled in the spring. How much would you like to have Ricky Seals-Jones and Speedy Noel to throw to? You think they might have looked a little bit better if those two guys were in uniform? Probably. That might be the difference in Kevin Sumlin winning seven or eight games or eight or nine and getting, you know, whether he gets fired or not is the decision those guys made. Garrett Sickles at Penn State, you know, I mean, that was a guy that put up good numbers last year, declared early. And that's the one thing they don't really have, that when you look at Penn State's team, and you see, you, get, you can see all the pieces there, except who's the guy that on third and in, on third and six, you know, this guy's coming down, this guy's coming out of come, shot out of a cannon. Better protect, better protect your quarterback. They don't have that guy. Well, that would have been Garrett Sickles on this year's team. He went pro, undrafted. Charles Walker, defensive lineman in Oklahoma, that's a guy that would have gotten some preseason All-American mention. Had he, had he come back. Joe Yerby at Miami is a guy that with everything else they have coming back. Boy, if you had him and Brad Kaya, that'd be one hell of an offense. So, you know, these guys, and we say this every year, please do your homework. Now, I understand sometimes you just don't want to be a student. And I get that. I spent an entire semester majoring in Super Tech Mobile. I get it totally, okay? and you're And you are better off going pro and being in an NFL training camp somewhere in August than being ruled ineligible and sitting on your ass an entire season. I, I agree with that. But if that's not you and, and let's face it, John, you and I both know that with the exception of a few schools like Duke, Stanford, Notre Dame, most of these guys have to try to be ineligible. They have to try. They have to go out of their way to try. So, you know, make sure you're getting the right, right, right advice, John. Not, you know, 130 players declared earlier, whatever you said it was. And I mean, there's only 260 draft picks or 103 did. and There's 260 draft picks. Plus, you have the entire senior class. Are you sure that you're giving away your eligibility? And the other thing that I would do, too, and this will be a future podcast we will do as well. But if I were college football commissioner, I would make it that um, you can come back to school after the NFL scouting combine and the final grades for your, for your standing in the draft are in. If, just like they do with basketball, if you haven't signed with an agent and you're still academically in good shape after the combine, if you want to come back to school, you can. I would make that a rule.
1: Yeah, the NFL probably won't want that. So just because you're wasting too much money, time, resources on analysis that may not be uh, turned out. And the NFL typically gets what they want, so. Right.
0: Well, it's, but but you know, I I would have said you're right ten years ago, but the NFL has, they have done an an early entry underclassmen evaluation program now that they right. give to the teams and the players, so they're moving, they're they're being more flexible on these on this front than they have been before, and I don't see what good it does the NFL to have to. They already have an age requirement. You have to be at least 20 years old. So they're already concerned about the physical conditioning and development of guys before they come into the league. So with, with that acknowledgment, I don't see what good it does the NFL to have these 30 players who uh, who a year from now probably are, would would make the strength of your draft better. Not get drafted and not end up end up on a roster. Right. You'd be better off with those guys back in college and getting another year of seasoning with them. Yeah, I?
1: I, I don't disagree with your notion whatsoever. I just I mean Adam Silver and the NBA work a lot closer with college basketball than what I see happening with Roger Goodell and the NFL. Then again, now the
0: way the, the one thing that the one area where this may not work is you know not some schools are on terms, some schools are on semesters. You can't alter your entire academic calendar for athletes in one sport even if they do bring in this much revenue because if you know depending on whether your semesters or terms are when your drop dates are for classes right so the nfl scouting combines the last week the last few days of february first few days of march when it when is the drop date for classes at each individual school so that you know you don't lose those those grades you know what i'm trying to say okay Mm -hmm. so if you if you drop them um You know, so you don't get those. If if you're failing, you can drop before that happens. That's a factor too that you don't deal with in basketball because, you know, next week by by this time next week, every school in America is going to be done for the year. So, you know, by the time we get to Chicago in the NBA pre-draft camp. School's already done for the year, so that's not an issue in re-emerging those or re-immersing those guys back into school like it would be in February and March when the NFL Scouting Combine is going.
1: Good point. Good point. Good stuff. And we will put a bow on it right here next week back. uh, Steve and I are going to talk quite a bit next week about the um, purge at ESPN that took place the last week of April. Give us a little more time to collect our thoughts on that, um, have a little more data, talk about some of the key names who were gone. Um, You know, Iowa uh, native Chris Hassel was one of the guys lost. Steve, I know that we've both worked with him. And uh, dude is, I mean, I, I sent him a note. I'm like, you know, you just don't realize it at times in life, but sometimes you fall up. It's just hard to know that when you're in the middle of it. The guy probably has more talent in front of a camera uh, than anyone I've ever known, and I, I'm not—I'm not—I don't think I'm speaking hyperbole. Now I haven't known everyone, um, but I—I've—I've I've said this for years. I think the dude could be a, a character actor on Saturday Night Live and crush it.
0: I'm—I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because when I when I look at Chris Hassel, and um, you know, I used to know Chris when he was here. I wouldn't say I knew him well. But I used to know him I've always enjoyed him I've always thought He was superbly talented I still believe The funniest bit That has ever been produced In Iowa Since I've worked here Was um, The Stivers Ford ad That yeah. Andy Bales did That is That is Absolute Change your undergarments Funny It's never I still sometimes Will just jump Go on YouTube And look it up sometimes just to, Just to watch it And I know what's coming And I piss my pants anyway It's so funny Okay, but but I don't, and I say I bring all that up because I don't know what his politics are. But for the sake of talent, I don't care. Where he would crush it. To me, he, he like I, on something like a, the Daily Show, Weekend Update, what what John Stewart, Dennis Miller, those kinds of guys yeah. used to do. That's that's where where you expand his repertoire of, of caricatures and references and put downs beyond the sports realm, but to the world in general, where now he has open season on movies, and politics, and and, and sports, but all of pop culture is now his domain, his playpen, I think he would freaking crush it in that arena.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that he would as well. I, I, you know, I haven't talked, spoken with Chris in a long time. We, we've traded, you know, messages through the months and years. You um, know, I'm a big fan of his, and, and I try to let him know it. And also, just hated seeing that. But I, I think he wants to do play-by-play. I think that's what his dream is. And I think that this may be an opportunity to allow him to do it. Who knows? Maybe he shows up on the Big Ten Network. I mean, I think that his I think his talent abilities are bigger than the Big Ten Network. Or, you know, it doesn't mean the Big Ten Network isn't a great place or a great gig. Just like what we said. We think for him, the sky is the limit. Dude could be a, a national name. But...
0: He's exactly what the Big Ten Network
1: needs. He, he, he would do really well there. Um, and sometimes just because you have the ability to do other things, maybe what you want to do isn't a bad deal. And I think that he could get no. an opportunity to do that.
0: He, he is exactly what the Big Ten Network needs. Now, you've worked there. I have not. But based on who their talent currently is and Delaney's reputation – I don't know that any sort of coloring Outside the lines is permitted at all <laughs> I, 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 And I'll give you an example You've heard me just rip Rick Pizzo on here Before right, right? you've heard me do that Well you know, I'm a, you know I listen to a lot of Sirius XM radio now and, and I listen To a lot of College Sports Nation And one of the shows I listen to on there Rick Pizzo Is on there every week as a guest And John he freaking kills it on there Crushes it almost every week And I'm like Who is this guy This is, this is freaking Rick Pizzo so I don't know what happens when when he go, walks into the studios there in uh, uh, suburban Chicago, but there's a lot more personality and um, a lot more flavor when I hear him interviewed for 15 minutes a week on Sirius XM than when I watch him on BTN. Now, I think that Mike, whatever his name, has no talent on any form, period. Mike Hall. No yeah, and every time I see my call, I just want to scream, boom goes the dynamite at my screen, okay? I, he's a no talent, have and pack. Um, and, and I'm insulted as a broadcaster that someone with that less amount of talent has a network job like that. When you see some of the people at ESPN that just lost their jobs, who, who he can hold their strap, Hassel being one of them. If, if the, but Hassel is exactly what the Big Ten network needs. He is what, he is what the SEC network has. The SEC Network has Feinbaum and Marcus Spears and Booger McFarlane and Tim Tebow when he's not you know, hitting home runs in the minors. Guys with personality. They don't have that on the Big Ten Network. If they hired him, at the very least, he'd be the second-best broadcaster next to Dave Repson they have on day one, if not the best one they have on day one. He's exactly, exactly what they need.
1: They need to start a channel, BTN Radio. Um, and have a BTN talk radio like the, you know, like the SEC has with Feinbaum. And, and I think Hassel, because I've heard him on radio and he's really good there too, uh, I think he could do it all. I think he'd be a great guy to have color with. So anyhow, um, he'll do well. Um, but we're going to talk about ESPN's layoffs, what got them there. Steve and I both have a, a number of different opinions on that. I think it's a recipe of a lot of things. Um, I think it's cord cutting. I think you can toss some political agenda thoughts in there as well. And we will have a, you know, I'll give you a verbal warning next week that there will be some probably political angles to this. But it's it's one of the biggest stories in sports. Not, you bet it is. Not just for last week, but what I believe and what Steve believes is a harbinger of things to come over the course of the next four to seven years And seven, eight years from now at the the most, but I think probably even sooner than seven, the landscape of sports as we know it right now will look nothing the way that it looks right now. And the way that you consume sports will be vastly different. The livelihood of the conferences and the networks that you know now are on the line will change. Some will not survive. And Steve and I will talk about that aspect because we believe that one of the Power 5 conferences that is presently a Power 5 conference will not survive it. And all of that is entwined with what we'll discuss next week, pursuant and maybe even kicked off by the um, ESPN's decision last week to can that many of their employees. So definitely be on the look for that one. For Steve, I'm John. Thank you for listening.